welcome to the AcroChats podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the practice of acrobatics in the global acro community. I'm Sean. And I'm Emily. We're partners and teachers based out of New York City, and we love acro. Each week, we dive into acro topics, including training tips and methodology, happenings in history of the practice, and interviews with acro practitioners from around the world. Come hang with us as we explore the world of acro and its global community. Live from Warrior Bridge Studios in downtown Manhattan, it's Acro Chats. <laughs> Emily didn't know I was going to do that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Sean. I'm Emily. And this is Acro Chats, our podcast about acro-related topics. Acro, some movement topics related to acro. Yeah, like life today. is acro. <laughs> so, yeah, the idea of this podcast is generally like we want to talk about acro in all of its forms. So, you know, we practice a lot of partner acrobatics, hand balancing. Um, I try to, I try to tumble at times. It really, it really tumbles if you <laughs> will. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like movement practices that are sort of adjacent to the partner acro practice that as we've discussed on other episodes we feel are extremely beneficial and I think we both try to make time for lots of those things there's only so many hours in the week unfortunately um but I try to like we're going to talk about backbends today and backbends are not my strength but I try to like specifically train them yeah, so backbending shows up in a lot of different acro practices. It shows up in gymnastics, it shows up in partner acrobatics, it shows up in hand balancing. Um, so in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about um, anatomically what's going on in backbending, some of the different like positions, uh, some of the tricky spots, and then uh, yeah, talk about how it shows up in all those different movement disciplines. Um, real quick, if you're like thinking like, oh, wow, backbends sound useful. How can I work on them? You know, this is Acro Chats by Warrior Bridge, <laughs> recorded at Warrior Bridge. So Warrior Bridge, we offer backbending classes most days. So you can take our classes live online or you can come in to the studio in New York City um, and, you know, join in for an hour backbending practice or catch the recordings of them on demand. Yeah. And I, you know, like I mentioned, like, I try to take class with our teachers that teach backbends because I feel like it's not a particular area of strength for me. So um, I like to be guided through practice. Um, it's much easier for me to work on it if someone else is kind of leading. Um, but you know, sometimes if I don't have time in my week to make it to an actual class, I, I do try to do my own practice as well. Yeah. So. What is a backbend? Hmm. I mean, it's in the word. <laughs> you bend your back. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you think still kind of not getting a super clear visual on what a backbend is, most simply, let's say you were just standing up on your feet and you looked up at the ceiling. That would be even the, a gentle version of a backbend. If you lifted your chest up, that would, and looked a little bit further back, that would be even a little bit more. And, you know, so on and so on. And then we can start to think about this whole category of postures of like bridge pose and um, bow and 
you know, leg scales, dancer pose, even a split has a back bend within it. Um, and you know, this is because we have bodies and bodies have like muscles and bones and we have to use those muscles and bones for multiple things, including uh, back bends. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking about like, what is the way that I would like most generalize? And it's like anything where the backs of your legs are coming towards the back of your head. Well, or the back of your head is going towards the backs of your legs, um, with or without the arms involved. Uh, and, and then that made me think about like, Hmm, you know, everything else that we do in our life kind of goes the other direction. You know, all of our functional activities, our legs and our arms kind of come in front of us. Yeah. So, you know, I think when we want to get to the real core of it, the back bend begins with the spine. So spinal extension would be the real like core of what like a backbend is. So your spine is made up of quite a few segments, something in the 20s. Emily can give. 7 plus 12 plus 5. Uh, 24. 24. That was, that was <laughs> what I was going to guess around, but I didn't want to work out the math. Yeah. So we have the doctor. So <laughs> your spine, uh, when you're like, in, uh, so when you're developing, you start off in like a, pr a primal like flexion. You're like a little bean. And then <laughs> little kidney bean. as you become like more and more human, your body and you like get out of the womb, you develop this ability to extend your spine. So it's not the first thing that our body like goes towards. But, you know, as a part of like becoming upright creatures, like we develop curves in our spine and we, um, that spine maintains those curves, but they're fluid. Like your spine can move in all of those different spots between the vertebra. So the vertebra stack up vertically and they can flex, they can extend, they can also side bend and rotate. But the extension direction is kind of the basis of the back bend. So when you're, most people with very, very rare exceptions, um, and in fact, we would call those exceptions like a congenital anomaly. Um, if you're just standing and not doing anything, standing upright, uh, you have your cervical spine, which is your neck, that naturally sits in a little bit of extension. It's called a lordosis. Then you have your thoracic spine, which is like your where your rib cage is basically, all your ribs attached to your thoracic spine. That part of your spine is naturally in a little bit of flexion or kyphosis. And then your lower back, which is your lumbar spine, which is naturally in a little bit of extension or uh, lordosis. So cervical spine, lordosis, thoracic spine, kyphosis, lumbar spine, lordosis. And that's attached to your pelvis at the bottom. So, you know, very top of the spine, you have your skull, which encases the brain. Um, that sits on top of the neck. And then at the bottom, you have your pelvis. And then like off of the spine in different areas, like at the pelvis, you get your legs. And then um, not at the neck, but like at the upper cervical spine, you get your shoulders or the upper thoracic. Like that's in the, the level that you branch off to the shoulders. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we're both sort of 
movement anatomy nerds, I would say, um, kind of get really interested in comparing different parts of the body. But you can kind of think of like the pelvis and legs and then the scapula, shoulder girdle and arms as like analogous structures. So your, your upper body limbs and your lower body limbs. Yeah. So where your head connects, there's like that natural, Emily said it, a lordosis or an arch. And then at your upper back, um, where the ribs are, there's the kyphosis, which would be the rounding. And then lower back, we can very, most people can uh, visualize a lower back arch. And then you have pelvis and sacrum is kind of like the bottom. So, and that would be almost going into another little uh, kyphosis, but we don't really talk about that so much. So the spinal component of the back bend is extension. So back bending is going into extension. There's parts of the spine that are already in extension naturally, the neck and the lower back, like we just talked about. Um, and then when we train back bends, um, I would say we're trying to get the whole spine to extend a little bit rather than putting all of the extension in one place. Yeah. But given that there are some areas that are going to bend easier than others, um, we, if we just go for our deepest back bend without thinking about it, then those places will bend first and they will take quite a bit of pressure before the hard to bend places will start to work. So a lot of times when we train back bends, we, we try to uh, target specific areas and doing it in specific orders so that we can use all the pieces together later. So when we think about the spine, let's talk about maybe first, let's, uh, yeah, let's talk about thoracic, extension the yeah golden it's like, topic <laughs> um it's like the white whale of backbending everyone's everyone's gunning for it um so why is thoracic uh extension important emily well i mean as you mentioned bodies given and you know if you don't give any other input bodies are going to choose the path of least resistance right so it's easy to extend your lower back and your neck that they do it already naturally. Um, and so if you just don't think about how you're doing the movement and you just try to backbend, that's where it's going to happen and your thoracic spine isn't really gonna contribute much. If you do that repeatedly over and over, you probably are gonna start to feel things in your lower back or your neck or both. Um, and it's maybe not gonna be that comfortable. So to have sustainability in the practice, we want to aim for that thoracic spine, that middle back area that doesn't extend as easily and put a lot of energy and focus there because the other stuff is going to extend. It's just going to happen naturally. Yeah. So given that your upper back where the ribs are is naturally in that rounded position, um, we have to work harder to get it to extend and you know, it doesn't have all those rib cage muscles. Well, rib it has ribs, so there's more mass that needs to be moved, but then there's also muscles that are in between all of your ribs, your intercostal muscles, and those muscles get tight if you don't move them. So 
if we want to move our thoracic spine, for one, we have to practice moving our thoracic spine and find ways to get those muscles to elongate and the muscles on the other side to engage. Um, so there's the, and you know, sometimes it's not going to be enough just to try to stretch. Sometimes stuff manually has to like even move. I think it's particularly in the thoracic spine if it hasn't uh, moved in a long time. So those like, I'm not saying like go out and seek, uh, seek the cracks in your upper back, but I think most people that have developed a deeper back bend uh, would, would share that that's sometimes a part of the practice. Um, I mean, yeah, like the thoracic joints, just inherently the way that they're built, they're very stable. <laughs> so um, those ribs come in and attach on either side of each thoracic segment. And that's how the spine is shaped. Um, and there's a, there's a little bit of a discussion to be had around it. Like, you know, if this is the anatomical structure, why train your body to do what it anatomically doesn't. Um, but I would say not very common that um, pushing the extension in the thoracic spine area, does that result in like injury? Um, it's, it's quite stable, it's difficult to move anyway. So um, approaching backbending, especially in the upper back incrementally and like with a good coach is quite safe. The other thing that well, one thing that is tricky about the, the thoracic spine is you have shoulder blades right next to it. And they, because the shoulder, you know, the legs happen at the very bottom. So it's kind of easy to differentiate like the leg movement from like the pelvis movement, or at least in my, uh, in my, yeah, I think it's easier to differentiate it. With the shoulders, like you have a shoulder blade and like a collarbone and then like an arm bone that plugs into that, that's like all around your upper back area, it spans different segments. And then it's also at this junction of like your neck and your uh, upper back. So to get that to, you really can't separate your shoulder blade movement from your thoracic movement. Like just by moving your shoulder blade, you will pull your thoracic spine, even if it doesn't move very far. Well, also because of muscle attachments. Yeah. yeah. So many of the muscles that move the scapula attach to the thoracic segments or to the rib cage. Um, and so learning about that and becoming aware of, you know, where all that engagement happens, um, is really helpful for backbend training, I would say. And the other part of the thoracic, uh, very similar, is where you keep your neck, your cervical spine, has a lot to do with how your thoracic spine is going to move. Because you can imagine, even though it gets kind of hidden by the shoulder blades and the muscles, they're still connected. So like moving, pulling your head further into the back bend will also pull your upper back further into the back bend. But so we have these easier, and the same thing would go with the lower back as well. But we have these like areas that move easy, and we have these areas that move hard, and we still want to move them all. So this is where muscles <laughs> and engagement and like timing yeah. come in. So um, again, like having a really skilled instructor or coach um, that understands these things, I would say is, you know, backbending is different than like training splits. 
right? Because not to get like super into the technical anatomy, but um, like the front leg in a split, for instance, it's really about getting more tolerant of sensation of hamstrings lengthening. When we're backbending, we're actually closing the joint structures into the backbend. And that's, you know, just slightly different kind of sensation. It's not just feeling muscles lengthening. You might be a person that like, if your chest is really tight or you have really strong abs, you might feel stretch and lengthening on the front side of your body as well. But there is this component of like the closing side of the movement and joint structures approximating in the backbend. I mean, it's probably also worth like noting your spinal cord as a part of like a backbend. Like, you know, the spinal cord is kind of like a very primary structure in the body is, whereas like, like your arm muscles and your leg muscles are, or your legs and your arms, they're like tertiary. So when you like move your spine and like when you move your spine in this direction that it doesn't usually get stimulated, you know, it's kind of hard to get like super scientifically accurate, but I think there's very clear feelings of like kind of like energetic rush that can kind of come from like deep backbending. There's a different level. Well, often there's also the pressure changes in the body. I think anyone that has spent some amount of time training backbends is familiar with this like there's almost this like survival um, component of backbend training that's it just feels very kind of primitive you know <laughs> um, and a lot of that also has to do with the fact that you know this thoracic spine area it's this rib cage expansion and this a lot of pressure where your lungs live and you know feeling like your breathing has to change and oh here's a good one Emily what's in your thoracic cavity your heart and lungs. Yeah. <laughs> so you're pretty important structures. Yeah. So you know you're not moving them big, but you are certainly changing like pressure on your heart and your lungs, and you know bodies are complicated. We have nerves. <laughs> Which is not to scare anyone. You know, backbending is totally safe and approachable. Um, if you and I would say it's actually like you want to experience those things on a regular basis, at least to some degree. Otherwise, like your body's becoming deconditioned to it and kind of losing that range. But yeah, we're big advocates of giving your body movement variety as much as possible. Um, you know, the use it or lose it sort of mentality. Cool. So to cap this one off, we talked about like muscles engaged to kind of like reinforce the areas that are um, like more easily moved. So you like add like 10% tension at let's say like your abs or like your throat. That way, um, so basically some areas are just going to move more passively. Some areas like we need to relax, some areas we need to engage. Um, we also need to move on to the arms and the legs. So, I mean, Emily, do you have something to... Well, uh, you kind of started to say it, but didn't quite finish that. Uh, it happens um, sometimes. <laughs> um, where things move more easily, we want to add a little bit of engagement and stability so that the less easy to move areas get attention, right? So like your lumbar spine moves a lot. We try to stabilize that a little bit when we're training backbends by like turning on your core a little or your lower abs. Um, maybe you wanna 
retract your chin a little bit and kind of stabilize your neck and then direct the effort into your upper back. Um, and that's just, again, like, I'll, I'll give a little plug here for our anatomy and movement training that we do once or twice a year, learning about where things move easily and how to stabilize that um, just comes with, you know, experience. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, I kind of cut the topic short because it's, there's so much we could go into. Because like, you know, it's not that we necessarily even want to be just doing like any kind of core work. It's not like all core work is related equal when it comes to practicing backbends. Because um, really we want to be able to like use our core muscles within this like specific backbending shape. There's also like elements of like lengthening or tractioning that we would associate. And those come with like kind of complicated engagements, like muscles on both sides working in tandem. It's like, this is where it gets like super, super technical if you Come wanted to. Come with us. Yeah. <laughs> Come do the training. But it, I think the cool thing is like, even though we can, you know, Emily and I are really, really smart, so we can like <laughs> say words about these things. But like, I've met so many people that are great backbenders that like, they can speak to these things. They just don't have... Uh, words uh, for it because it's like they they feel it in their body but that's the cool thing about like having the words is you can uh, you can like actually like kind of uh, cross-reference people's experiences so anatomy and movement training so shoulders let's go with that one so yeah. the shoulders contribute to the back bend in a lot of different well for one we talked about the shoulder blade the scapula kind of being linked up with how your thoracic spine moves but there's also um, the arms play a big role in some backbends, like a bridge pose or a bridge or a wheel, or even what some people would just call a backbend, would be kind of like the reverse down dog. So you lay, on, you lay on your crotch back. to the ceiling. You lay on your back, you put your feet and your hands on the floor, hands by your ears. Um, and push up into a wheel or a bridge. Um, or you're standing on your feet and you look back and you reach for the floor and you make a big arch with your body. Or you're in a handstand and you fall over to your feet and you keep your body from coming down. Yeah, all so those things would are... be ways of getting into a bridge. There's many others also, but... Um, that range of motion with the arms is called shoulder flexion. So overhead range of motion in the arms is shoulder flexion. The um, scapula will also move along with this because the scapula is where the arm connects into. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit in our handstand episode. Go back and listen to it. <laughs> uh, overhead range of motion is really a complex thing in and of itself. Um, the actual arm bone has to move, but the scapula also has to move with the arm against the rib cage um, to achieve like that full overhead range. And then if we're talking about backbend training, we kind of like go down the chain from there. Um, the next thing in line is the thoracic spine and then the lumbar spine and then, yeah. Well, but the shoulders, depending on what kind of backbend you're doing, they might not just be moving in that overhead range. So like, right. let's say something like a bow pose, um, that's kind of working in actually the extension direction. So reaching your arm um, 
if it was hanging by your side, the short way to get uh, behind you. So there's different types of like flexibility that we would need to develop in the shoulders. Um, we're not going to go into like all the different muscles, but like you can imagine arms have muscles and um, when they're overly tight in some spots, they kind of inhibit motion. Um, and when they're not strong in some areas, that will inhibit motion or that will create what appears like tightness. Yeah, most people, we just don't do a lot of our daily activities with our arms over our heads. <laughs> so most people find it quite tiring at, at first when they're training um, to really get that last little bit of overhead range of motion. Um, but this is another time in your training where having awareness of these things can be really helpful because if you're know if you know that you're specifically trying to improve your overhead shoulder range or your shoulder extension behind the back you need to stabilize your spine so that your shoulder can move um, and again body's going to choose the path of least resistance so it's probably gonna move your spine before it moves your shoulders yeah and you know then there's also this whole like there's this whole conversation of like rotator cuff muscles, which are what stabilize your shoulder blade and like your actual like ball and socket joint together. Um, and then there's also like movers of your scapula. And without like kind of getting in, we'd be getting into like a lot of muscle names, which is like kind of not as fun for a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but you can imagine like, you know, your shoulder has this ability to like rotate uh, with like if you were holding your arm physically in one place, but you were still making your upper arm bone like rotate as much in like a circular motion as you could, that would be kind of like your like internal and external rotation. And which there's like certain amounts of rotation that are kind of like asked for as your arm goes overhead and as your arm goes behind you. And the same way we talked about your scapula can move in like independently of your rib cage. Um, it can go like up, down, side, sides in very uh, layman's terms. And when your arm goes overhead or your arm goes behind you, there's an associated movement of your scapula also. So to get all those pieces to work together, uh, there's, it's very much like an individual recipe because like someone's might have tight rotator cuff, some people might have weak, ro weak rotator cuff and tight rotator cuff. Basically all tight shoulders. Tight chest, tight back, to, you know, depending yeah. on your sport of choice. like. And, you know, it still has to work in tandem with the thoracic spine. So it's, it's a big, there's lots of ways to break it down. But at the end of the day, it's kind of your upper body in the back bend. <laughs> then let's go to the lower body in the back bend. Right. So in, you know, a wheel pose, for instance, um, like if you're sitting in a chair, your hip and your knee are in flexion. In a wheel pose or, you know, bridge or you know, whatever terminology you use for it, your hip is in extension. So your thigh bone is trying to travel behind uh, the plane of your trunk. Now, it doesn't actually go very far in that direction, right? Because we are humans who stand upright and we walk forward mostly. <laughs> um, so our legs go in front of us naturally. That's the way that your pelvis and your hip is shaped. Yeah. So as you're walking forward, like the leg that's in front, that's like stepping forward, that hip is flexing. 
And then like, as the leg kind of trails behind you in your gait, that, that hip should be extending. Should be. But, you know, like because of various reasons, um, uh, possibly because you sit quite a bit, possibly because of other, I mean, that's one of the biggest things is if like we Working, stay, driving, yeah, if you spend the majority of your day in that flex position, your body doesn't want to come out of it quite as easy. So like thinking about addressing like that tightness in the hip flexors, um, that's kind of where like lunges would come in. So the reason this is important though, is like in a backbend, like let's use our example of the bridge. If your hip flexor, if your hip won't fully extend, so kind of where your thigh bone, your femur like meets up with the pelvis, if that area is like dropped and won't lift up, uh, then your lower back is gonna have to do, well, everything is gonna have, to, everything else will have to do a lot more. Yeah, I mean, you can also take, you know, the lunge example. Um, a lot of people I'll see, we kind of set up in a lunge, one foot in front and then the other knee behind on the floor. And, you know, the trunk moves forward in space, but the thigh actually doesn't go behind the trunk. There is not actually any hip extension happening. The way that the leg ends up behind the body is by lumbar extension. Um, and that's super common. Um, you know, the most flexible hips maybe have like 25 or 30 degrees of extension. So the amount that the thigh bone can travel behind the plane of the trunk, it's not really much more than that. Otherwise you'd be dislocating your hip. So deep back bends or even splits, you know, the back leg and your split, um, there is lumbar extension happening. Like that is, it's just a necessity. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's just a part of the position and that's not bad. Like our backs are naturally in that extension. So I guess the question would be is like how much extension is acceptable. And I would say like the amount of extension that allows like, well, for one, like there just might be other demands of what you're doing. So like, let's say that you're like an aerialist that's trying to do like a split balance um, between two silks. I think this is the like classic example. If you're trying to keep your uh, split square, you're gonna to need to use like a lot of uh, lower back arch. And you're gonna probably also wanna keep your body not upright, but like you're not gonna to wanna to be pitched very far forward. Mm -hmm. You're going to try to like get your body like kind of balanced out between the two legs. And that's going to mean that your back has to, your body has to be upright. Your back is going to have to arch a lot. By the same token, in order to make that split balance stable, you probably don't want to be like squeezing your lower back extensors to their maximum to keep your body upright. So you would train your hip extension on the back leg to be as uh, lengthened and also as strong as possible. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so like a lot of these like flexibility positions, like it's not just that we need them to be like relaxed and like be able to get there. It's like, we have to be able to be in that position and also do strong things. And that's kind of where like the fun part of like the, the acrobatic backbend, like the performance backbend comes in. So a lot of times what we would think about is like, does, we don't want the hip flexors to be like the weak link in the chain. 
So like that would be where, let's say we were in that lunge and we wanted to slide out to a split. Um, if like you just had to keep folding forward and like your butt stayed kind of lifted and all of it went to your front leg, then that would be kind of showing us that like, oh, that back leg hip flexor wasn't really doing its part. Um, this can also like hip flexor tightness can also like get in the way of things like handstands. Like if you want to get to a very straight line in a handstand, um, it really asks for actually quite a lot of hip extension, which just makes it a straight line in a handstand. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I'll speak for myself. Like hip extension is really tough for me. Um, and for my handstand, um, it definitely looks like if I'm not really warmed up and I am not thinking about it, it definitely looks like there's a little bit of a pike. Um, and I have to really think of stabilizing my lower spine and squeezing my butt really hard so that my hips actually get to zero degrees. <laughs> um, and you know, different, I would say, I would say this is a fairly common thing, even in people that are quite flexible. I think we've both encountered students coming in to train backbends who are like, their feet and their hands can get very close together in their wheel. And that last little bit to, you know, get further into like grabbing the ankles, for instance, it's often the hips. Yeah. They're big muscles. <laughs> so when we think about like stabilizing the low back, that would be like a lot of times the action of like a posterior tilt. So like kind of giving our last little bit maybe of anatomy, like the pelvis like has like these two actions, like anterior tilt, which kind of goes along with the sticking your butt out sort of. Um, it's not just sticking your butt out because there's many ways to stick your butt out. But if you think about like a bowl is how we would often describe the pelvis. If you spilled water forward out of the bowl, that would be like the pelvic, the pelvis anteriorly tilting. So that goes with the extension direction. Like as you're trying to bring your leg behind you, like you do want that anterior tilt. Um, but if you just let that fly freely um, as your leg goes behind you, then like we said, it puts a lot of pressure. It takes a lot from the lower back that then like cutting the puts more pressure on things like the joint between your lower back and your, or the junction between your lower back and your upper back. So we need to be able to like allow these things to move in that direction while also um, having some amount of engagement. So the engagement of posterior tilt, the tucking your tailbone action, but like easing off it as you allow your body to like go further and further. Yeah, this speaks to the timing of backbends, you know? So like, <clears throat> since I know that hip extension is difficult for me, if I'm gonna try to drop back into a wheel pose, for instance, I want to keep my pelvis tucked and keep that posterior tilt as long as possible so that my hips go as far as they're gonna go. And at the very end, I'll kind of relax that a little bit and just do the last little bit. Yeah, so it's like a lot of times you're keeping this engagement of doing that thing or you're kind of like holding onto as much of it as you can, but like, you know, if you actually wanna move somewhere, a lot of times like that's where it would be the eccentric, the lengthening, uh, contracting as the mu muscles are lengthening. But, you know, we talked a lot about these, the anatomy of the hips and the shoulders and the spine. And it's really fun to dive into this because then it lets us like 
you know, also like troubleshoot. It lets us like uh, kind of develop our understanding of it as teachers, but like also like how do we use this backbend that we've worked like so hard to develop? So like a, dis a discipline like contortion is like very backbend focused. Like so the moves are all kind of, well, there's different styles of contortion. There is like forward bending contortion. There is like bone breaking contortion. But a lot of the contortion that we think of is like the backbending contortion, which would be playing with this combination of like bridge poses, bridges, chest stands, splits. Scorpions. Hand, yeah, handstand, like contortion handstands, which would sometimes be thought of as like uh, scorpion pose, hollow backs. Um, and contortion can very much play into like hand balancing, like as like a common, like there's people that are hand balancing contortionists. Mm -hmm. Uh, backbends are also a fundamental like movement in gymnastics. Mm -hmm. All the flipping in the uh, flipping is often like uh, the momentum is generated by changing from an arch, sometimes a bridge or like passing through almost a bridge position into a hollow position. And this is what we use to create different like rotational momentum. Yeah, it's interesting in gymnastics, I would say, I know, like, we know several former gymnasts or current gymnasts who they don't train backbends, um, but they use a backbend shape. Um, they, you know, pass through it or they use that shape to kind of like load the spring and then flip out of it. Um, and it's just interesting that it seems like, you know, people that have been doing that for years and years and maybe have trained from a young age you know, going into a bridge or wheel um, without any warm up or anything like that is just like a very natural thing um, because it is a shape that gets moved through so often. Personally, I want to have like 90 minutes to warm up before I do a wheel. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's the whole topic of like flexibility developed as a child and like versus like flexibility developed as an adult. Oftentimes, like for one, you most people would understand that like kids are naturally, they, they start off very flexible and we kind of like stiffen up with age. So if you do a practice like gymnastics or even like different styles of dance or somehow you just maintain, kept doing this movement of backbending, um, there's a good chance that you maintain it better as you get older. <laughs> Yeah, gymnastics also uses mostly like dynamic flexibility, whereas hand balancing is static, you know? Like, yeah, and there's different demands of uh, the gymnastics backbend. Um, it doesn't necessarily focus on maximal depth. That might be where like rhythmic gymnastics like focuses more into the contortion realm. Hand balancing um, often might even go deeper depending on what kind of, if you're a hand balancer that wants to play with different uh, shapes. Yoga goes quite deep in the backbend and they explore lots of different uh, poses um, with lots of different like methodology. Um, and then, you know, this is acro chat, so it's good every so often to talk about acro. <laughs> um, but in partner acrobatics, um, partially because like we draw from the discipline of gymnastics, um, we can also use 
and we draw from the disciplines of yoga and hand balancing and contortion. We can use the backbends in lots of different ways. So in Icarian, because Icarian like uses lots of flipping movements, um, having a backbending awareness, having trained the backbend in like the ways that you would need it for like gymnastics is really useful. Yeah, that's another um, example of like dynamic flexibility in Icarian because if you're moving through a backbend, you're probably kind of snapping around to create rotation from there. Um, but really super, super useful. If you have more range of motion, you can create more rotation. Um, not that you have to be super flexible to fly Icarian, but it's helpful. Yeah. And then there's also just the component of if you're a hand-to-hand -hand flyer or something like that, if you have really nice backbend flexibility, you can make some great shapes. There's also like, even if you want to do straight body handstands, like the, the training, like your bridge or the backbends in general, training backbends generally contributes to like uh, shoulder mobility, just because like it, it trains thoracic mobility and thoracic mobility is so much a part of shoulder mobility. And then the arm muscles, the arm movements are also just trained in a lot of the backbending poses as well. So like if you want to have a really like straight line handstand that asks for a good bit of actually thoracic extension and like shoulder mobility as well. Um, an acro, you could also think about like, yeah, make flyers making poses on, um, it doesn't even need to be Icarian, but like different walkover movements, different acro dance movements will be more easily facilitated by like back bends. I just saw Aaron fly a uh, back leg scale in a mono foot to hand on Andy the other day. So, nice. You know what I, what's also great? The hand balancing, uh, the contortion duos or group contortion acts where they, mm -hmm. it's a, it's kind of like acro because it is like partner balancing, but it's different because like in contortion uh, group acts, they, it's very much like you're just doing a handstand on someone. Like you're doing your own handstand and the, the base doesn't really contribute to the balance. So you might have someone who's in like a chest stand um, with their feet on their head or their feet on the floor in front of them. And the chest stander will just also have their hands on the floor in like a cobra position or like their elbows like sticking up with their hands on the floor. And someone will do a handstand on that person's arms or like you'll do a handstand on someone's hips when they're in a bridge. Um, there are some really amazing group contortion acts that, you know, you can find from like Cirque du Soleil that they stack several backbends on top of each other. Um, or, you know, they'll, someone will be in a sort of closed shoulder contortion handstand and then the second person will do their handstand on that person's neck. You know? <laughs> yeah. And one of the really interesting things with like the, uh, the contortion handstand is it's incredibly stable um, because it's a lower center of gravity. So when we go for like these really tall straight body handstands, um, when they fall, they fall with more, it takes more effort, more energy, more work to stop yourself, to brace your body from falling over because it's just like physically more force because of gravity and physics and such. Yeah, and also if you're, a contortionist or you know your flexibility is at the level of a contortionist um, falling out 
of a contortion handstand is a pretty um, anticlimactic. You just put your feet on the ground and you do backbend. <laughs> There's nothing particularly uh, alarming about that, you know. Yeah, but that deep backbend it also facilitates things like being able to like touch, be in a handstand, and bring your feet to the ground on the other side without it being like a falling over. You can just like. It's just like a continuation and then you can stand up because like your body just is able to achieve these like correct stacking points. So, you know, backbending has a lot of possibilities. It can be challenging to develop your backbend, especially if it's not something you've done for a long time. Um, so if you're someone who is like just getting into this and like you've been working like a at a computer for a few years um, or even just like you have different habits like say someone like was just like likes to lay on the sit on the couch a lot I like sitting on the couch a lot and I can say it's probably not the best thing for my back bend but then again Isaac also sits on the couch I'm sure just as much might be yeah, in a back bend I feel though. like yeah his sitting on the couch probably looks a little different <laughs> um, but yeah if you practice backbends, they can certainly improve. Like I never trained backbends for, I never like knew backbends were a thing for until like I was in my early twenties. And over the course of not very long, I was able to, I was able to develop a backbend where I was able to put my foot on my head. And I still have that at times um, under the right circumstances. Um, Cause you know, backbends also, they are a lot of different things working in tandem. They are your hips, they are your spine, they are your shoulders often. So if you're maintaining, if you're getting a little bit from all of those places, um, you can still like express some of these shapes without like a contortion level of flexibility. Um, some people's body, bodies are also just naturally gonna be different. Some people err on the side of strength. Some people err on the side of flexibility. And then, like, individual spines have different shapes. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, if you're starting a backbending training journey, um, just know that, like, it is a sort of different sensation tolerance training, um, maybe than, you know, your standard um, stretching. But uh, it shouldn't be a pain painful process you know there's not if you feel actual pain especially post training if your lower back is just like totally shot and feels terrible um, I would say there's maybe some technical things that could be adjusted um, and good instruction is certainly part of that yeah. I usually feel like really tired like I did a lot of work after training but I don't have pain yeah backbending can be extremely technique driven. Um, backbending also takes time, uh, is a big part of it. Um, it doesn't need to take a ton of time, but like I have found consistency in my backbending practice, um, like practicing like a little bit of it on a regular, on a very regular basis, several days a week has been quite good for me. Um, but you know, also practicing too much backbending uh, doesn't always, uh, like, more is not always better or better more. is better. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, practicing thing, practicing the things that you need, for one, is uh, really important. Um, so, like, you know, if you're taking lead classes, um, I think it's best to kind of just go at it with, like, 
a sense of chill because you know it's hard when it's a group class with a lot of people for the teacher to be offering the sequence that's like perfect for everyone. Um, it's like exactly what you need in that moment. So being able to like go slow and kind of like individualize your practice is really important. And then like if you have like bigger goals, um, working with people, working with a coach one-on-one -on -one who can kind of like look at what you're doing and give you an outside eye and uh, different types of cues can be really good and might even like design programming for you depending on like what you're looking for. Um, yeah, but backbending is, it shows up everywhere. It's such an essential part of, well, yeah, I mean, the best acrobats I know can all, can all do a bridge. <laughs> and that's including like acro bases, uh, that's tumblers, like with, I mean, my favorite uh, ones at least, but. Yeah, so if you don't know where to start, you can always shoot us a message, um, ask us some questions and otherwise, Happy backbending. I'm going to go train mine today. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, thanks for joining, everyone. This has been Acro Chats. I'm Emily. I'm Sean. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Okay. Have fun. <laughs> Bye. See y'all soon. Warrior Bridge is a leading provider of online instruction in handstands, flexibility, movement, and partner acrobatics. Classes are filmed daily from our downtown Manhattan studio and live streamed around the globe to meet you wherever you are in the world. Our classes offer students the unique opportunity to receive real-time feedback and answers from expert instructors and connect to a movement community that spans the globe. If you aren't able to attend class in real time, you can catch class replays at any time via our on-demand library. Head over to warriorbridge.com to learn more.